Hello and welcome to the Health Hacks podcast, the podcast for high-performing professional females looking for practical ways to optimize all areas of their health and wellness. At Health Hacks, we understand that as a busy female, you wear numerous hats throughout your working week. You're trying to juggle it all, while also looking to carve out time to prioritize your own goals. It's challenging. It's therefore our mission to channel your energy into the areas that are going to help give you the biggest bang for your buck, to really make significant changes to your lifestyle in the most efficient way possible. So at the moment, if you feel as though you need more energy, you want to feel more productive to improve the quality of your sleep, to lower stress, to increase confidence, to show up better in both your personal and your professional relationships, this podcast is for you. If it's time you prioritize your health, learn to fuel your body, found time for exercise, and said goodbye to fad diets and inconsistent behaviors for good, this podcast is for you. If it's time for you to step into the shoes of the high performer you know you can be, this is the right podcast for you. Join me and my guests as we take you through the Health Hacks podcast. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Health Hacks podcast and today is me, just me, the first one that I am recording solo and I won't even lie, I'm never nervous when recording a podcast but based on the guests that we've had over the last couple of weeks, just me, myself and the microphone feels a little bit daunting this week but I'm going to be talking to you about all things formal exercise. Just before we jump into this episode of the of the Health Hacks podcast, if you haven't already taken our health check review, where have you been? Let's face it, we are brilliant at tracking a lot of data, right? We track a lot of data in our professional lives. You've probably got a spreadsheet for everything. And we very often track in our personal lives too. So whether it be calories or steps, for example. But what about your overall health? What about bringing all of these components together to give you an overall health score? This is where the Health Check Review does exactly that. And this series of evidence-based questions will take no more than 60 seconds of your day, but will rate your performance over a number of different arenas from formal exercise, what we're going to be talking about today, movement, nutrition, and mindfulness to give you an overall score. Not only that, based on the data you provide, the Health Check Review will then give you personalized feedback on the areas that you're currently strong in and those that potentially require a little bit of work. This is wonderful for you if you're starting out and you'd like an initial score. You can then look to improve your markers over a number of weeks. You can retake the tests and see how you get on. Or if you're someone who wants to pinpoint the areas of your life that perhaps need a little bit of attention, this is the one for you. The health check review will be linked in the show notes below. And of course, if you want to discuss your outcomes with myself or a member of the team, please don't hesitate to get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. And I want to say just before we go into the podcast, a special congratulations to those who completed their first week of our Power Challenge. We launched Power on the 6th of February, the first intake for 2023. Power is our six-week challenge to help improve your body and mind. And congratulations to those who have just completed their first week. Our next intake will be in April. And we'll obviously send out more details about that intake closer to the time. 
So into today's episode, I want to start with exercise in general and the benefits of exercise as a whole. Now, I could rattle off a whole list of reasons why we should exercise. Okay, this could be a whole podcast in and of itself. Me starting at the top of that list, working my way through and trying to convince you with 101 reasons why we should exercise. What's always interesting to me is not the number of positive reasons why we should exercise. I think it's the spectrum of areas that it covers from mind, body, longevity. So if we think about exercise in our mind, we're talking about things like positive mental health, building self-confidence, building that real inner sense of belief and trust with ourselves. Our mind really benefits from that. There's the our body too. The aesthetics are one thing, but when we're looking at our body, we're looking at weight management. We're looking at building lean muscle tissue. We're talking about improving digestion. We're talking about every aspect of our body that, that benefits from that. We're going to be doing a, a podcast at a later date with Dr. Luke, and we talk really about the positive benefits of of exercise on a cellular level. That's the minutia. That's where really it goes down to. Literally from the inside out, we can make positive changes. And then we look at other aspects to do with longevity. So how exercise can equip us for aging and to bulletproof ourselves into our later years. You know, we only get one vessel. This is the only thing we have. And it's about bulletproofing and steering that vessel into into as prolonged and, and good quality a life as absolutely possible. And that starts now. And it does start with formal exercise being part of that. But I think instead of me trying to convince you of the reasons why you should exercise and me giving you a long list of reasons that you know already, you know a lot of this, okay? A lot of us don't have the problem with knowing. A lot of us have the problem with implementation. So instead of me asking you, you know, or convincing you why you should exercise, I think a more poignant question and a more important question to be answering is, what is the consequence if we don't exercise? And what are the consequences to you specifically if you don't exercise? What does that mean for your relationship with your food and your body just now? What does it mean for future you and your ability to stand up from a chair and get yourself up a flight of stairs and take yourself to the toilet and get dressed yourself? What are the consequences to you if you are running around future children? What are the consequences of you when you're having that conversation with your doctor about a preventable disease? What are the consequences to you if you constantly live in a body that you hate, that's holding you back? What does that mean to you? So I don't want to bang on about the negative, but instead of me going and trying to say, let's exercise because of X, Y, and Z, What does your life look like if exercise is not part of it? I think that's a much more powerful way to to frame it and to look at it. Okay, so let's go in, therefore, to how we can actually design. We've pinpointed how important exercise is to be included in your week. How do we actually design it into your life? How do we make it one less thing on your to-do list, but actually something that's more ingrained in your day and in your week? This is a real stumbling block for a lot of people. And this is where we stop talking 
and we start implementing. And this to me is a really important uh, step when it comes to working with clients directly. Knowing the information is one thing. Executing is another. It's where a lot of us fall down. So I'm hoping to really uh, offer you some practical advice here and practical points to take away and actually be able to help you to do this. So very often when we embark on a new regimen when it comes to exercise, whatever that looks like, maybe you say to yourself, you know, I'm going to start doing four CrossFit classes a week, or I'm going to start training three times a week. I'm going to start running X distance, whatever it may be, whatever you've told yourself you you want to do. Okay. Instead of looking at the program itself and how you are going to adapt your life around the program, how about we flip that on its head and let's start looking at the available time that you have And it might be really easy to spot those gaps of time, but it might also be about how much you're actually willing to dedicate to this. But instead of trying to shoehorn yourself into a program and to mold yourself to fit something else, why don't for the first time ever you flip it on its head and say, right, I can feasibly commit to three exercise sessions a week of 45 minutes. That's what I can do. For you, it might not be that. For you, it might be, right, okay, I can feasibly commit to four sessions of 20 minutes, but they'll all have to be within my lunch hour. Or maybe because of your circumstances, you're saying, right, well, I actually only have time to fit one session in during the week. But you know what? If I'm realistic about it, I do have a little bit more time at the weekends. That's maybe my window. That's what I could utilize. Right. doesn't matter what it is, but let's look at your available time. And then the key here is to then design the program to fit that time, not the other way around, okay? Let's go through some guidelines on general activity. I think this is really useful to do. And they teach you this in PT school. I remember this being one of the chapters of what you should hit over the span of the week, but I think it's really interesting to revisit it. And interesting that this hasn't changed. These, uh, These guidelines haven't changed. But the UK Chief Medical Officer's Physical Activity Guidelines, updated lastly in uh, 2019, state that the average UK adult should be looking to achieve at least 150 minutes of moderate intensity exercise per week. So they're classing moderate intensity as increased breathing, but with the ability to talk. So 150 minutes over the span of the week, you can split that up any way that you want. By the way, it's not specified in as to how to do it. 150 minutes and you should feel uh, increased, uh, increased breathing, but able to talk. That could be things like swimming, a brisk walk or a cycle. I mean, I'd be really interested to know who can swim and talk, but I, I get the premise of where they're going. So 150 minutes or at least 75 minutes of vigorous exercise per week. And by vigorous, they're categorizing that as breathing fast and having difficulty talking. So you're talking there more like running or or sports. They've said stairs here, which is interesting to me, but I think they just mean cardiovascular activity or a mixture of both. So you can have 150 minutes moderate, 75 minutes of vigorous or a mixture of the both somewhere in there. So that's their category called being active, which from a from a, a coaching perspective, we would class as cardiovascular 
uh, exercise. That's a demand on your cardiovascular system. Then the next category they have is building strength. And they're saying that we should build strength to keep muscles, bones, and joints strong. Fair. And the recommendation here is at least two days per week. No time is specified, so no no time limit, but two days per week of, of building strength. And that could be anything from uh, the gym, carrying bags was one, uh, or yoga. So that's what they're, they're specifying there. Uh, the other recommendations are minimizing sedentary time. So for a lot of knowledge workers, we'll know that sitting down at a desk during the day is potentially one of the barriers when it comes to making positive lifestyle change. So it's breaking up periods of inactivity and minimizing that sedentary time as much as possible, which I think we all we all know. And the last part of this, which I actually really liked, they specified some recommendations for older adults to specifically improve balance. So this was to reduce the chance of frailty and falls. And we have actually touched on this in in podcasts previously. The problem with falls, obviously there is an immediate problem with falls as an over as an older adult but very often the issue with this can be is that as you age and your reaction time diminishes your your speed obviously we don't have we're not we can't react quite as quickly we can't move our, our muscle groups quite as quickly um and we also have generally speaking much less muscle mass our bones are much frailer what happens when an older adult falls versus a uh, someone someone younger in age or a child is as we age we're just that little bit more fragile and frail and falls themselves tend to be much more detrimental so if you're falling and you're breaking a hip as an older adult or you're you know having a bump or a bruise or a sprain the impact of that is much greater our recovery isn't as isn't as isn't as good or we may not recover at all and that's really where the problem lies we can't bounce back in the same way so falls as an older adult really are a huge consideration because for a lot of people that can mean the end of independence or that can mean real health considerations going forward so I love what they said here about um, improving balance and they're recommending two days per week of activities such as tai chi bowls dance anything that involves moving the body Um, and I love this one I really really do so if you have older relatives and you feel that they spend an awful lot of time sitting down or they're not engaging in any other activity other than walking maybe it's something that we want to encourage but I love this inclusion and some of the catchphrases from the the UK government and don't know who's on their branding but the catchphrases are uh, some is good more is better that's just generally in regard to movement um make a start today it's never too late and every minute counts okay that's that's our government recommendation for kids interestingly so that kids they're classifying ages 5 to 18 60 minutes per day of exercise 60 minutes per day there's a couple of things that made me really think when I read this one I think the behavioral patterns between quote-unquote children between 5 to 18 are so wildly different aren't they I mean you can easily think about right okay well kids in the playground running around yeah maybe they will clock upwards of of 60 minutes per day on a good day but what age does that stop 
So there's the age consideration for sure, but I also think there's a gender consideration. If you think about it, I'm just thinking back to my school days the boys maybe yeah used to play football or rugby or run around a little bit more generally be a lot more active on breaks and lunches but the girls we sit around and have a have a natter and 60 minutes potentially over the span of the week would have been a bit of a challenge so I wonder how many children actually get that uh, level of of activity so those are our government recommendations and maybe I sound like I'm being uh, negative the difficulty governments will always have is they have to talk to and they have to put in place guidance for a whole population and that's always going to be challenging absolutely it's always going to come with with criticism and consideration but that is their their recommendations there are a couple of, of additional considerations that I would bring in if I were a female I am a female, if I were a female, looking to improve on any of those markers. I personally believe a minimum of three resistance sessions would be would be great. I don't personally believe that two sessions gives you enough frequency over the span of the week in hitting key muscle groups. Uh, and if your ability, if you're more advanced, more advanced exercise score, you can definitely exercise more than, than two to three sessions per week. A lot of that will be dependent on your recovery. But I do generally believe that a mixture of sessions, they have outlined this, you know, we can choose a bit of this and choose a bit of that. And looking at cardiovascular health, as well as what they define as strength goals is important. But generally speaking, if you are someone who wants to take their training, their exercise and their health seriously, I would be looking at this as the absolute minimum, absolute minimum amount of activity. So designing your week, we want to look at the available time that you have, being mindful of the above guidance, but really shaping your week to make that feasible for you. How you design those sessions, so you've looked at your week, you've pinpointed the available time, how you design those sessions is going to be incredibly specific to your goals, okay? Your training age, so where where you're at, how much experience you have, what you're willing to do, and your preference of exercise, okay? If you're someone who just loves marathon running, okay? You just love to run really, really, really long distances, then we have to take that into consideration, okay? But today I'm going to run you through some examples of designing your sessions based on training age and where you may be in your fitness journey. Obviously, there is so much nuance in this, obviously, and this is why we have one-to-one coaching because it's going to be very, very dependent on you. However, I think it's really good to have an overview of how exercise can differ as you move through various seasons of your life, how you may develop as you become more experienced and how you may change as age, um, as you progress in age too. So if you are someone who is a first timer in the gym space, if you are completely new to exercise, it's all all new to you. It's all shiny. It's all exciting. It's all it's probably a little bit daunting as well. The main consideration for me when I have someone who is, has never exercised in their life is that they start to enjoy it 
and that they're comfortable with what they're doing. Okay. Very often, I think people undertake programs that are way more advanced than they need to be at the start of someone's journey. And the goal is really to have you comfortable exercising. If that's been comfortable in a gym space, fantastic. If it's not a gym, if you're looking to start off with body weight at home, the main thing is that you are comfortable and confident in what you're doing. When you feel comfortable and confident, you will enjoy it. Okay. No one likes the unknown. No one likes uncertainty. That always, always is, we need to relax into things. Okay. So when we are more comfortable and we're being consistent, this is really, really important. Consistency, learning how to move our body and learning what is effectively a new skill. I think people forget this. Exercise, moving your body, being able to connect in your brain with how your arms, your legs, your breathing is, all of that is a skill. Some people are simply better at it than others. Because your proprioception, if you've been someone who has played sport as a child or done anything, you could have danced, you could have been part of a, a team, you could have engaged in any kind of gymnastics if you've done anything as a as a child chances are you probably built up some uh some degree of proprioception it's ingrained there somewhere but some people simply did not do that as as children didn't like pe at school i think me and colette talked about this on a on a podcast recently didn't enjoy pe at school and are coming to exercise for the first time later in life we have to accept that like any new skill, it requires a degree of practice. You know, if you want to be a, you know, a concert pianist, you know, you're not going to, that takes years and years and years, a lifetime of practice to gain that skill. Exercise is similar. We have to work at it. And what I love about it is the more that you do practice, you are gaining skills. They are transferable skills that will equip you in, in life, but it's worth acknowledging from the start that you might not be great at it and that's okay because we do get better okay so first time in the in the gym or exercising being really comfortable finding something that you enjoy to help you be consistent and acknowledging that it is a skill that we do need to learn as you become maybe a maybe a beginner in the gym a little bit a little bit more experience we can start to look at potentially more complex movement patterns. So potentially adding in different types of training, whether it be things like plyometric work, so jumping, moving your body, starting to look at different machines in the gym, if that's the route you go down, exploring these different avenues. And I think once you've accrued a degree of knowledge, preference starts to come into it now once you've sampled different uh, types of exercise once you've sampled different machines or different ways of moving your body you can start to gain at least a consideration of what works for you and what you feel doesn't what do you like to do what do you not because that's actually very very important okay there is a bit of us that sometimes we have to do things we don't like of course it's, it's life however you do start to build up a picture of right when I'm performing a particular movement, I really feel it when I do it this way. I don't feel it quite as much when I do it that way. And all of that is really important because we are unique. We are an individual down to the length of our levers. So our, our arms and our legs versus our torso. Like all of these things can play a role in exercise execution. And all of this is important. So as you move into becoming a little bit more advanced, 
you can start to look at different avenues. We can start to look at preference and looking at intensity too. So actually generating exercise intensity. What does it feel like to push your body a little bit? What's your body's response to that? Getting used to that lactic acid buildup, that burning feeling in your muscles as we start to work them. Getting that feedback and exploring the idea of of pushing yourself. That's only when we can safely move our body, only when we are comfortable, only when we are happy in the movements that we're doing can we start to explore that. So exercise intensity really starts to come into it here. Uh, When we do develop into what I would call more of an intermediate Uh, training age or training experience you can start to then look at things like potentially what splits of the week work best for you so maybe you you know are doing an upper or, or lower split in your training previous to this if someone's new to exercise I do like to follow more of a full body splits so by that I mean that the muscle groups that we're targeting in a session before that I do like to favor a full body full body session for someone who's new to exercise purely because what we don't want to do is jump into the gym and hammer one muscle group so hard that it compromises recovery if you're going into the gym full body sessions get in, get out, get your sessions done, do that consistently for a couple of weeks, a couple of months. That's a really good starting point. When you start to become a little bit um, more intermediate level of, of training, that's where if it is relevant for the person, I may suggest that they start exploring things like upper body, lower body splits. We start to look at different muscle groups at play and again diving a little bit more into things like training intensity so we might look at progressively overloading the muscle group to make sure that over a period of weeks and months we are expecting more of the body we're forcing it to adapt and change if you're a client of mine and we've gone on about progressive overload and that's a principle that I've introduced to you you'll understand the importance of asking more of our body every time that we go into the to the gym space only when our body's challenged will it change and then we move into more advanced uh, training protocols now that will be informed generally very much on the goal so if we have a client for example who's training for a specific muscle group or a specific aesthetic outcome or they are training for an event maybe a a 10k or a half marathon or it could be anything or someone who is far down their far into their training journey their training experience and they want to really deepen their knowledge of themselves how they can push themselves but also their experience of different exercises and movement patterns that's where training someone slightly more advanced does become and can become a little bit more technical in saying that I think we're very very good in the age of Instagram and and training videos and all of the above to to make things very frilly and to add different components to workouts and training plans that potentially don't need to be there I think we can I think influencers in particular in our position where 
I get it. I completely get it. When it comes to social media, they need to be seen to be trying new things. And you're not going to watch a video of someone doing a barbell squat, you know, every single time they post on, on social media. So they are under a little bit of pressure to, to spice things up, so to speak. But it kind of negates the point that the basics are the basics and they work. And well-rounded training protocols generally involve a lot of the same movement patterns potentially done in slightly different ways but a lot of the same movement patterns done again and again and again and again and it's your ability to stick to that and improve the execution improve the strength improve the efficiency of movement which is going to get you amazing results so as much as we're talking about training getting more advanced It would be a really interesting experiment if you gave someone who is a complete beginner to the gym the same training program as someone who is incredibly experienced. You may find even following the same training program that the person who is more advanced could find the same workout more challenging. And the reason being is they understand the the techniques to improve and to increase intensity. They understand how to dig deep, how to push their body. They understand things like going to failure or creating time under tension or creating great mind-to-muscle connection. So you could have two individuals, as I say, following the same program, but one could generate much more intensity just because they have more experience and they know more about their body. So I find that a really interesting, interesting concept. But bottom line is, Your training plan as you advance doesn't have to become more complicated. It really, really doesn't. And if you feel that you're adding things in and things are getting a bit frilly without much positive outcome, think about stripping things back would be my advice there. Obviously, designing sessions around endurance events is is something that we work with clients a lot of the time to do. So if someone is doing a longer run, let's say a half marathon distance is a typical one that people will, will aim for. It's very important when we are designing for for sessions like this that we are mindful, goes back to those government recommendations, that we are looking at exercise as an overall. So even if you are training for an endurance event, it's really important that we don't forego strength and resistance-based work purely for this cardiovascular sport or purely to go down this cardiovascular route. I'm not a massive fan in this instance of putting all of your eggs in one basket. So even if you are training for a half marathon, I firmly, firmly believe that resistance training should still be a protocol that you follow. If you've spent weeks and months and years building lean muscle tissue, which resistance training is going to promote and it's going to help, it's not then advantageous to go into a block of purely cardiovascular training and then leaving that resistance training on the back burner. Muscles don't really work in that way and your body's not going to thank you for it. So when we're training for something that is endurance-like in nature, that really is about designing your sessions and designing your week to look at the proportions of resistance to cardiovascular uh, training. You might for for a while reduce the, the amount of 
formal gym sessions uh, you're doing, but you might find that your cardiovascular training increases as a as a direct response. It leads to a really good question about resistance training versus cardio and the importance of both. Now, I might be criticized here for sitting on the fence when it comes to this, but I firmly believe that a dogmatic approach of you must do X number of a certain type of session and you must also complete x number of a another type of session is not the way that you can coach everyone okay there is not a one-size-fits-all as cliche as it sounds there simply is not a one-size-fits-all but when we're talking about the proportions of resistance to cardio training I am very very clear on in my eyes that it should not be a one or other approach And that when it comes to overall health of the athlete, if you have, what's that? There's a Nike saying that, is that a Nike slogan? I think it was one of the first Nike slogans that was something like, if you have a body, you are an athlete. Okay. So I'm talking to you, the athlete. And it is my, in my very humble opinion that to be a well-rounded athlete, which you are, that you should have the ability and the skill and the the fitness and the strength to perform in a multitude of different arenas. So whether that be pushing X weight in the gym, running Y distance, to be a well-rounded and healthy individual, I do not believe that that comes from one form of training, going deep, deep, deep and hard in one form of training. When training for particular an event, we're using an an endurance event as an example here, yes, it may be applicable to skew the proportion of training that you're doing any given time, but I don't believe that you should forego one type of training ever completely for another. So even if I have ladies running their first half marathons, marathons, they will still be in the gym at some point during that week. Because it is important to make sure that we are at least maintaining lean muscle tissue, but also and ideally complementing the cardio and endurance training that they're doing with strength-based work happening in the gym. I think that's really important as well, particularly for ladies. And we did a podcast on this with Angie and Katie on the importance of building lean muscle tissue. But I cannot emphasize enough, ladies, how important it is that you are resistance training and resistance training to a sufficient intensity, pushing, pulling, pressing weights, challenging your body, particularly for us. And I won't go, this is a totally different and singular podcast. This could stand alone, but the importance of resistance training for us on our skeletal muscle, on our bone density, on all of the above, it's so important in particular that we are resistance training, that we are pushing weight over a over a distance. So of course, I believe that there is a an approach that we should be taking, that there are principles that we should be thinking about our bodies as a, as a system, as a well-rounded system. However, that is going to be totally dependent on the person. And believe me, and I'm just going to say here, my views on this have changed over time. So if you'd have asked me 10 years ago what my view of training was 
it would very much have been going to the gym five to six days a week. I would train what was basically what we call a bro split. So it would have been, you know, uh, shoulders and triceps, back and biceps, legs, maybe quads one day, glutes and hamstrings another. It was very, very driven by muscle groups and very, very focused on the aesthetic. With age, my opinion has changed. Uh, With training experience, my opinion has changed. And working with hundreds of women, my opinion has changed. It may continue to do so, and I hope that it does. Um, But I would be very, my first, I would be the first person to put my hands up and say, I have changed my views on exercise. And I think that happens. I think it happens naturally for a lot of people. And it's, I don't believe, neither wrong nor right. But I think as we step away from the aesthetic, I think to women, there will always be an importance in aesthetic. They will always play a role in any case. However, as we step away and skew our attention more from the aesthetic to health, longevity, and happiness, we do understand the roles of different forms of exercise. As in, I have been incredibly lean in my life, but incredibly unfit. So by that, I mean, I had very low body fat and been not entirely very strong at that stage, but had muscle tissue, but found going upstairs very hard or couldn't run a mile for example. And I found that with age, that isn't how I want my body to operate. And that's, I feel a nice position to be in now. I'm sure that will change in future. Um, but it is important. And I think the more that we think about our body as the, as the overall machine and the functionality of it, the better from a health perspective. So resistance training plays a role. Cardiovascular training plays a role. What about things like rest days? That's always a common question that we get from clients, particularly when they're starting out. Caroline, what about rest days? Should I be taking them? What should I be doing on those rest days? What do they look like? It's important to realize that in order to be able to train hard and train effectively to generate that intensity, we need to be resting sufficiently enough so it's always actions have of equal or greater consequences and if you're training really really hard you need to be able to rest to supplement that and rest days are important they really really are the number of rest days that you that you take per week again going to be dependent on you and your goals going to be dependent on your rate of recovery and all of the things that we've mentioned training age type of training etc but Every one of us should be taking a number of rest days per week, dependent on on your goals. And rest days, take them as that. Take them as days that you step away from your formal training. You will hear phrases like active recovery. And I often get questions about things like yoga and Pilates on, on rest days. My response to active recovery, so that can often mean, you know, kind of steady state, lower intensity training, whatever that may look like, maybe a light jog or a a light cycle, perhaps a brisk walk, light swim. Those are the kind of things people would, would class as active recovery days. And the other one, I've lost my train of thought there, yoga, Pilates. I often get asked the, uh, whether people should include those or not. The 
answer is again very much dependent on you as long as it doesn't compromise your general recovery I would say crack on and do it but obviously depend on your yoga and your pilates class for example because I know a lot of these can be quite intense if you leave your active recovery session, let's call it that, and your body feels more mobile, the blood flow is making you feel good, you feel invigorated but rested, and you're ready to go into your next training session nice and fresh, then to me, thumbs up. It's it's a benefit to your overall training week. If you're calling it active recovery, but you're just really doing more more cardio, that's not providing the benefit that we want. So be very in tune. Again, if you're doing like sweaty Bikram sessions or do people still do that hot, hot, hot yoga, that kind of thing. If you're doing crazy yoga sessions that are leaving you feel sore the next day that are really, really testing you, you're dripping in sweat, all of these things, that's not what I would class as active recovery. That's more a formal exercise session, which is fine. We just need to make sure that we're factoring it into your week. So just be mindful of that. So Rest days are important. Please take them. And yes, I'm sounding like I'm being very negative about things like yoga and Pilates. I am absolutely not. I know from a relaxation, from a mindset perspective, from a community perspective as well, a lot of women love classes like this. I think switching off, have someone else dictate the next half an hour, 45 minutes, hour, whatever it may be, following a class, looking at things like breath work, flexibility, mobility, all of these things, loosening off, particularly if you're someone who sits at a desk all day, I can only see the value in doing sessions like this. So I'm absolutely not against them. I will put my hands up and say they're not something that I have regularly introduced to my own practice yet. Again, we're ever evolving, we're ever changing. They're not something that I've implemented myself yet. I would prefer to use the time to do formal exercise and and resistance-based work, but that is just me, okay? So if you love doing yoga, you've got a class that you absolutely adore and it's a, a staple part of your week, keep doing it. The idea is that we work around that. It goes back to the conversation that we had right at the start about how much available time you have. But actually, yeah, what else do you like doing? Because let's keep that in there because you're going to keep going back to it, right? So we've looked at exercise in general. What are the benefits? Designing your week. What are we advised to do? I think the main takeaway from this is design based on your schedule. Don't try and follow a program, okay? And the third one is designing of the actual sessions themselves and what they look like. For me, generally, I'm a big fan of making sure that you're training regularly enough over the week and making sure that your sessions include things you enjoy and a mixture of things that you don't and make sure that you're training in line with your current training experience. That is really important. And there are a few general rules of thumb that I have picked out that I want to to run through. And don't get overwhelmed by these. There are a few, but there are a few general rules of thumb. You could possibly go through these as a bit of a checklist and see which of these you're currently implementing and which you may not be. So my first one would be not to set unrealistic expectations. So if you're someone who is not currently exercising regularly, maybe you sporadically fit two or three sessions in over the span of a week, every few weeks, 
don't set an unrealistic expectation of five sessions per week going forward. You will be your biggest source of motivation. And once you have created that momentum, you can always do more. But I mean it sincerely when I say start off with a manageable and realistic amount in which you can add to. Don't set yourself up for a fall. A lot of, no, I was going to say a lot of women, there's a lot of people do this and it's hugely demotivating. And if you know you're not going to do it, give yourself a little bit of credit, know what you are capable of, know what you are likely to do and work with that, not against it. So first one, don't set unrealistic expectations. If you are not sure, and I'm not saying this because I am a coach, I'm saying this to save you time. If everything that I've been talking about feels a little bit like, oh, I don't know if I've got time to work out how much time I have. I don't know if I have time to design my sessions. Get yourself a coach, okay? A coach is not an expense. It's an investment. I have learned from every single one of the coaches that I have worked with, and I've worked with a few, and I don't mean that to say, sounds a bit slutty, doesn't it? I've worked with a few coaches. Well, actually, all that does is give you a wider variety of knowledge and give you more perspective of the different methods of exercise. The principles are few, the methods are plenty. There are very, very few principles that we need to, or we should follow, but there are hundreds, thousands of methods, different ways of doing it. And different coaches will give you different perspectives. And I can honestly say from working with the coaches that I have, that I've taken positives and negatives away from all of them. But if you are not sure, get a coach. It will speed up the process tenfold, will save you time, will save you energy, will save you also the uncertainty. So very often we could spend time creating this plan, we could put it together, and then a week or so down the line, we're sitting there going, I don't know if this is actually right. I don't know if this is what I'm doing. Hmm. I'm actually, I'm really not sure. It ends up putting you off following through. Then adherence drops, then you stop, then the rinse and repeat, the wheel starts again. So get yourself a coach. The knowledge that you gain from that experience is yours to keep for life. Literally, it's, it's, it's yours to keep. And you'll learn not only from them, but you'll learn more about yourself as well, which is so important. Um, another rule, form. Exercise execution, so important. If you are not sure what you are doing when you're exercising, we need to do something about that, okay? Not just from an injury prevention standpoint, but from a confidence point of view. You need to be confident in what you're doing because only when you are, will you able be able to generate any intensity and will you be able to progress. So form is so important. Make sure that you're clear. If your coach has never asked you, if you're working with a one-to-one PT and they've never adjusted you, given you pointers, given you suggestion, on the on switching up your form if they've never given you any technique points they're not paying enough attention if you do not if you've got an online coach and they've never asked you for training videos or have given you feedback or have given you even tutorial videos on how to to perform basic movement patterns squats lunges deadlifts presses anything like that they are not paying enough attention okay you need to make sure that your form is important You see this in all the time in gyms is people there, but performing movements with suboptimal efficiency. 
So by that, I mean crap form. And why that's an issue is one, there's a multitude of problems. One, it can cause injury, but what it's more likely to actually cause is, is imbalances in, in muscle groups. It is likely to uh, provide, you know, it's inefficient in the movement itself. It's, wasting your time in that you could be getting much more bang for your buck from the movements that you're doing so you're there and you're performing an exercise at about 60 percent capacity because you simply don't have the skill to be able to allow you to hit that 100 that's not a use that's not a good use of your time so make sure that your form is is bang on have a plan okay please, please have a plan to follow. Not only will this give you huge clarity when you step into a gym space, I know gyms can be very intimidating for a lot of women. What can really help that is having a clear plan of action before you go in. Knowing what you're going to do, how to do it is really empowering. Even better, if you can go a step further than this, have a backup plan. Because time and time again, what we often see is there is a plan of our perfect week, but, and let's just say, for example, that includes three full body half an hour gym sessions. Okay. You have those three sessions planned, but your meeting on a Wednesday runs over because the deadline in the US has changed and your meeting runs over, right? So then that now means that you won't be able to fit that session in. What would be amazing is if you had a backup alternative. So you had a a, a substitute session that you could perform at home with one piece of equipment in a small space at home. That would be your session for the day rather than the lunchtime one that you wanted to, to do but couldn't because of work commitments. And what having a backup or what I call a safety net plan allows you to do is explore this gray area in the middle between all or nothing or the perfect week versus doing nothing at all. Very, very often when we don't hit our per- perfect, we stop altogether. And that's a mindset feeds into diet too, that we like to help our clients navigate and, and remove the issue with. So what we do is, yes, we have our ideal, we have our optimal training schedule, but what we also offer is a backup or safety net option, which is there that when the inevitable week doesn't go perfect, when the week inevitably doesn't go perfectly, you can adapt to change and explore the gray area and remove yourself from this perfectionist mindset. Really important. So have a plan and even better, have a backup plan as well. Take note of what you are doing. So by that, I mean log what you are doing. How far are you running? How fast are you doing it? How hard was that session? What weight did you lift this week? How many reps did you do again? How hard was the session? log what you're doing, take note of what you're doing and map it out because it will allow you to see what's going on. Not just within your sessions, but when your training or your formal exercise actually happens. Say you always plan to do a Monday, Wednesday, Friday session, but three weeks on the trot, that Friday session gets missed because someone asks, oh, Sharon, do you want to go to the pub? And you say, oh, actually, yes, I would. After work, I would love to have a glass of wine. If three weeks on the trot, that Friday session is being missed because you're having a glass of wine, then we need to change. We need to change that. That's realistic, right? So log what you're doing, not just over the span of the week, but also we talked about this, about being your biggest source of motivation. There is nothing more motivating than knowing that over a period of time, you are able to do more let's use the gym as an example, as you did 
a couple of weeks ago. So hypothetically, you go in for your first gym session and you can perform 10 bodyweight squats. In six weeks time, you can perform 12 squats with a with a six kilo dumbbell goblet squat. Then a couple of weeks on from that, you are progressing to doing a, a barbell squat with a 10 kilo bar. That's progression. And the only way that you would know the consistency of that happening is if you logged and if you kept track of your weights. Clients of mine, that's why I adore our app, which asks you to input the reps, the repetitions, and the weights of the movement that you're doing. And the app, by saving the weights and the sessions, allows you to see what you've been doing every single time. That is so important because you're getting that feedback every single time that you go in. I'm getting stronger. I'm doing that distance faster. Actually, I did that a couple of weeks ago and I didn't find that as hard this week. Oh, I must be getting fitter. There is nothing more motivating than that. So please take note of what you are doing. The next one, training intensity is important. And I'm going to call us ladies out here because we are not good at generating training intensity. That's a very unfair statement to say, isn't it? We can be, we can improve in creating training intensity. And I say this because having trained women on the gym floor, I get it. I do. I really, really get it. Your legs start to burn. Your arms are achy. You're scared you're going to drop a weight. You're, you're fatigued. You're tired. You don't want to create that training intensity. That burning feeling is, is building up. It's easier to back off. Yeah, it is. It's way easier to back off. But by not creating and training intensity and by going in every single time into the gym and repeating the same movements again and again and again with the same weights for the same reps, nothing's going to change. So not only are you missing out on that huge opportunity to create that sense of accomplishment that we just talked about, you're also missing out on the huge opportunity to see your body change, which it will under a, under increased load, but you're also wasting your time. You're going into the gym and you're doing the same thing again and again and again. All that's happening is that that's getting easier. Nothing changes if nothing changes. And we need to make sure that we are challenging our bodies sufficiently enough. Training intensity is so important. Make sure that you are pushing yourself enough. Clients, if you know what I mean by the phrase progressive overload, apply it. Make sure it's being applied. If I'm speaking a different language, go Google progressive overload. Familiarize yourself with that principle and apply it the next time that you're in. Very simply is the act of doing more and increasing the load or the task on the body every single time that you perform a, a an exercise, perform a session, perform a run, swim, whatever it may be, asking more of our body. Next one, stick with a plan for a good enough period of time. We see this all the time call it program hopping. That's when a program either starts to get a little bit hard or a little bit boring, or for whatever reason, one week you couldn't uh, commit to or complete a given session, we program hop. We jump to the next shiny new thing. Well, if you are changing up your program every single week, how can you employ the principles that I've just discussed of progressive overload, of increasing the amount that we're doing? You can't because you're never repeating the session. And program hopping 
doesn't allow you to generate any consistency. And to be honest, doing it too often is really, really sapping of your energy. Because every time that you go into the gym, you're trying to familiarize yourself with a new session. Well, how do I set that up? What order is that, is that in? Do I know that exercise? Oh, this is a new movement to me. That takes a lot of energy. And if you're someone who does not have an awful lot of time and you want to be as efficient as possible, jumping between sessions every time that you go into the gym is not the way to achieve that. So make sure that you're sticking with a plan for a good enough period of time. My general rule of thumb when it comes to programs is the program should change when the goal changes. Until you complete the goal, stick with the program, Okay. Next one, I've just said that, but make sure you're adapting as you go. And I don't mean doing a different program every single week. I mean, maybe for an X period of time, you're going to concentrate on building strength. Maybe for a period of time after that, you're going to concentrate on dropping body fat. Maybe thereafter, you're going to concentrate on your endurance. Be able to adapt as you go. And don't be afraid of trying different things, okay? So I think we get caught in this headspace of, okay, I go to the gym, I do this, and this is all I'm going to do from now until the end of time. Absolutely not. That goes against everything I've just said about being a well-rounded athlete. I would like to think that you put your all into any given program for its duration. Hit your goal, and then you say, right, okay, what's the next goal? Right, I need a new plan to fit this new goal. That's how it should be. So don't be afraid to adapt. And remember, this is just one point I just want to throw in right at the end. General rules of thumb with exercise. When we are partaking in formal exercise, we're doing this from a health perspective. So whether it be getting fitter, stronger, being able to run further, you can improve things like lung capacity. Uh, We're doing this for health reasons. Fat loss that is your goal, is controlled by our diet. So everything that we're doing in the gym or everything that we're doing when we go out to exercise or we're grabbing our dumbbells and we're doing a home workout, we're going to that yoga class, we're doing that for health reasons. We're not doing it to burn calories, okay? If we want to create a deficit, we have other tools at our disposal in order to to create that. Movement in the form of meat, so your steps, really and diet are the primary uh, control paths for that. Formal exercise should be for health reasons. For me, every time I step into the gym, I'm thinking about building lean muscle every single time. Never, ever, ever please equate the calories burned on your watch, if your Apple watch pops up at the end of a session, you've burned X number of calories. Please never equate the success of a session on the number of calories that you have burned on that watch. One, because it's grossly inaccurate, but it's not the headspace that we want you to be in, okay? You're going in and you're formally exercising for health markers. We are creating a deficit and we are stripping away body fat, if that is the goal, via other means. So please don't get caught into the trap of that. So general rules of thumb there. Hopefully there are a couple there. And I say hopefully there are some there that you are missing because it gives you a really obvious place that you can start to make tweaks and changes to your own exercise. Or maybe you're in a position right now where you're like, I'm exercising a lot. I'm exercising really frequently, 
but my body's not changing. We hear this time and time and time again, Caroline, I'm doing all this work. I'm training, you know, five, six times a week, uh, but nothing is changing with my body. Well, hopefully this list here has pinpointed some of the reasons as to why that may not be the case and offered really obvious places that you can start to focus your attention, make those changes and therefore see the results that you're actually working really hard to achieve. So those are my general rules of thumb. There's one important point that I want to close on. And I think this is a really important one to hammer home, irrespective of where you feel you are on your fitness journey. I started this podcast asking you what the consequences were to your life if you did not exercise. Okay. Exercise and our health, our body, it's a lifelong relationship that we're going to be in, okay? We're in it, whether we want to be or not. When you occupy your body, you're in a relationship with that body. And if you want to prioritize health and wellness, exercise, whatever form that may be in, is going to be part of your life, okay? The relationship that we have, therefore, with exercise is an incredibly important one. Incredibly important. And I'm going to speak from a personal point of view here, but I'm going to hopefully shed some lights on probably something that you have experienced, even if you've not really been able to pinpoint it. I would be absolutely lying if I'd said I've loved exercise day in and day out since the day I started training properly. That would be a barefaced lie. Sometimes I feel seasonally, and I'm not talking about seasons of the year, I'm talking about seasons of your life, which which we all experience. Sometimes seasonally, I do not have the same love of the gym as, as others. It comes and it goes. And there are various reasons for that. It can be to do with the training itself. It can be to do with lifestyle factors, a multitude of things. Sometimes I do not love the gym as much as as other times. Instead of beating myself up about that or questioning why, what's going on, what's this big problem, I do accept it. And I do accept it as a season and as a, a temporary peak or trough. Sometimes I love the gym, absolutely. I, do, I, can, I would love to spend hours and hours and hours there a day. Don't question that either. I just roll with it. And the reason that I mention that is that to me is absolutely normal. Absolutely normal. I don't always love the gym, but what I do and what I can firmly say I have always loved and will, I believe, always love is the feeling after exercise, after any form of exercise. That natural endorphin rush, that high, that feeling of moving your body, that your heart rate was up, that you pushed slightly beyond, that feeling doesn't go. And I know that there there's so many cliches, no, there's no such thing as the bad session or the only bad session is one you didn't do. I, I know there are all these cliches, but if you've ever deeply experienced that, of that feeling of I really didn't want to do that. You moved your body, you got the blood pumping, oxygen flowing, and you leave and your you know your heart rate's coming down and you go, 
oh, I'm so pleased. You know, I'm so pleased I did that. That never gets old. And that always, always, always happens. So as much as I may not have a deep love of the gym all the time, I do have a deep love of that feeling. It's so satisfying. It really, really is. And the way that I would articulate, I'm not going to give anyone relationship advice, let's face it. However, if this is a relationship that we are in with, with exercise, sometimes I hear the experts say that the thing that you should do in a relationship, if it's not feeling so great, or it's getting a bit stale, for want of a better word, is to add in a little bit of excitement. And maybe adding something else in is what's required. Maybe you need a new goal. Maybe you need a new challenge. Maybe, literally, we'll talk about literal seasons now. You change your season around the year. Maybe in the winter, for you, it's it's trying something new. It's going ice skating with the kids. It's going skiing. It's maybe in the summer, you go paddle boarding or you try scuba diving when you're on holiday. These are, it's this exercise, it's movement, it's activity. Try a new sport, try a new class, Go to, maybe like me, you're not the, the biggest practice practitioner, practitioner. You don't do a lot of yoga. Well, maybe it's something that you want to want to try. Maybe your gym has a series of classes that you've never been to. Maybe you've been so focused on training for aesthetics and following a bodybuilding type split that you can't remember the last time you went to a circuits class. That kind of thing. Try something new. Apparently that spices it up. No, I mean, in in exercise, I feel like it really does. I've recently started running more, more from a, I'll be completely transparent, more from a time-saving perspective. It works really well with my routine. But trying something new like that, one, it's very humbling because it's very hard, but uh, it can actually, it can spark or confirm why I love resistance training in this instance. It has only confirmed why I love to be in the gym lifting heavy weights, but it doesn't mean that I won't do it. It just means that it's something that I want to try, at least for now, try something else out. Um, There is a part of me that thinks, you know, sometimes it might not be perfect, but we just need to, you know, knuckle down and get on with it, even when we don't feel like it. And that, that is true. I do believe that is true. However, I think, you know, in your gut when something needs to change, when things are getting a bit slow and a bit complacent, and when that excitement's not there, when that when that real want to do something, that, for want of a better word, passion isn't there, you're simply not going to enjoy it in the same way, and your adherence isn't going to be high. So from a coaching standpoint, I would much rather my clients were doing things they loved rather than the perfect idea of X number of resistance sessions versus X number of cardio sessions, if they turn around to me and said, Caroline, do you know what? I absolutely love hill walking. I just have this real passion for being outdoors and nature. If someone loves to do that, from a coaching point of view, why would I ever put barriers in place to stop them doing it? If anything, I'm going to bend over backwards to make sure that they get to do that when they want to do it. Because if they love it, they're going to work hard at it. If they love it, they're going to stick with it. They're going to be consistent. If they love it, that passion is going to filter into other areas of their life and other areas of exercise. So it's really important that that is a feature. And 
it leads to uh, another point that if you do have a coach, be transparent with your coach about what you need, what you love and what you want. Because if they are a decent coach, they will help you achieve that and they will help you factor it in. I've had ladies turn around to me and say, yeah, do you know what? I want to run a marathon. I want, I really want to. Will this, um, will this affect my, my strength-based goals? No, not if we do it right. Not at all. If you want to do that, let's support you in doing that. So I think I have gone on enough today about formal exercise. But as I say right at the start, the reason I wanted to cover this in as much detail as possible is we've been doing deep dives with our with our specialists. We've been doing deep dives with our guests. But let's not forget the main principles and let's not forget the the main pillars of our health, our fitness, our wellness. So thank you so much for joining me today. We will be back next week with another guest episode. I'll be doing these once a month. And it goes without saying, if there is a topic that you think would be incredibly helpful, would be useful, please get in touch and let us know what would be valuable. We'd obviously like to as much as possible make sure our content is going to be as helpful and valuable to you as it possibly can be so if you are you have some burning questions I know always topics around uh, dieting emotions around dieting binge eating these are always really popular topics so if there is something that you think would be really helpful as niche as it as it might be please get in touch and as ever if you have not taken the health check review please do so particularly if you are new to me and the podcast go and get yourself an initial health score and run the results by me so we can make sure that you've got a tangible plan to work off of I think I've nailed uh, or hammered on enough about plans in today's podcast. If you've gotten to this point in the episode as ever, thank you so much for taking the time. I know your ears could be on hundreds of other platforms. If you did find this helpful, if someone in your life has been talking about getting back into the gym, talking about exercising, they want to become fitter, they just want to do something, send this to them directly it'll give them a hopefully give them a really good starting point and some things to think about before they go into into this world and yeah if there's anything else contact information is below all linked in the show notes if you are interested in coaching either by myself or a member of the team please do get in touch I'd never think I mentioned this at the end of any podcast but if you are interested in coaching All of our coaching services are on a one-to-one basis. So we do work with our clients on that one-to-one level. For me, it is the most fulfilling way to work with our clients. We get to know you incredibly, incredibly well. So as we've been talking above about goals and about creating the right plan for you, this is where you're essentially outsourcing this. And myself or a member of the team come in and help you form the most efficient and effective week for you to get the results that you want. So if you're interested in coaching, details are below and we'll catch up with you next week on another episode of the Health Hacks podcast.